0: I invite you to join with me in a word of prayer. Lord, this morning I ask that each one of us would be like your servant Samuel, that none of your words would fall to the ground. Help us, Lord, to hide your word in our heart and align our lives to its truth. Lord, please help me now as I preach, for I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. To say, I believe in God, is significantly different than to actively be building your life on God's Word. I hear people say, I believe in God all the time, and I usually don't chalk it up to too much. It doesn't even qualify which God. But for somebody who's saying, I'm reading the Word of God, and I'm trying to fashion my life according to it, is a very different thing. Eli wasn't a bad man. Eli judged Israel for 40 years. He was in Shiloh. He was the priest of the tabernacle. I'm talking 1100 BC now. Eli was the priest who raised the young Samuel to become the priest that succeeded him. Eli was charged with care for the Ark of the Covenant. This is the gold box that contained the Ten Commandments and Aaron's staff that budded and some of the manna that God fed the Israelites with. It was the center of God's manifest holy presence on the earth, and Eli was in charge of that. But he had this fault. He favored his sons to a fault. In fact, he cared more about honoring his sons than he did about honoring God's word. And you know the type of dad super proud, so proud that he can't see his son or his sons or his children's own faults or sins. If someone were to point them out, he would either ignore what they say or even become offended. How dare you speak against my sons that way? He was that kind of a father. And it's a type of love, but it's a distorted kind of love. And Eli had that going on. On top of that, there were were two really big problems in Israel in those days. To quote the last verse of the book of Judges, which in the Hebrew Bible is what comes right before Samuel, In our Bible, we've inserted the story of Ruth because it is in the same time frame, but they go right from the last word of the book of Judges into 1 Samuel. It says that there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Boy, if that isn't an apt description of most of society today. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So that was the condition in, in Israel in those days, and Eli was basically the last judge of the season of judges before Samuel the prophet comes up and then anoints a king, King Saul and then King David. So it's a major transition happening here. And there's another problem with the worship of God's people, and that is that, and this is a direct quote, now the sons of Eli were worthless men, they did not know the Lord. That's First Samuel two twelve. They were worthless men and they did not know the Lord. And what the author of 1 Samuel is doing in artistically and brilliantly written narrative is he is showing a contrast of character. He's showing a contrast of the type of character that God works in and through with the kind that will be rejected. And if you were to back up to chapter 2, I underline these in my Bible, we see sentences right next to one another with a play on the Hebrew word na'ar. The ESV footnote says this, the Hebrew Naar can be rendered boy, servant, or young man, depending on the context. And so the boy Samuel is being contrasted with the two young men, Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons. They were priests serving in the tabernacle, and they were not good men. And so it says things like this, um, the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest, verse 11 of chapter 2. And then the very next one, it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Down a little further, verse 17, it says, The sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. Verse, that's 17. Verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed in linen ephod. The boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And then Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing in Israel. Then a little further down, They would not listen to the voice of their father, and then it says, the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. So it's, here's this Samuel, and then here are these priests that are bad. And here's the backstory on Samuel. His mother, Hannah, was barren and was being mocked by her husband's other wife. And when she went up to Shiloh every year to worship, this is where the tabernacle was. This is, this is before Jerusalem, before a temple. Shiloh is about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. Every year they went up to worship God, and she was in the temple and was crying and was praying but not speaking out loud, just her lips were moving. She was so distraught. Eli accused her of being drunk in God's house. She wasn't, explained herself and said, I'm barren, I'm crying out to God to provide for me a son. He blesses her and says, I'm sorry, bless you, may God fulfill your prayer, which he does. And she says, If you give me a son, I will give him to the Lord's service. This is Samuel. So as soon as Samuel's weaned, probably, I don't know, maybe the age of four, she brings him from their hometown up to the priest Eli and says, here's my barely past toddler age. Here's my son. I give him to the Lord as I promised. And he was being raised by the priest Eli in that terrible household with Hophni and Phinehas. And there's this contrast of God's grace keeping Samuel and these wicked men back and forth, back and forth. And the the type, the character type of the person that God works in and through is this. Three things. Humble, knowing, and faithful. Humble before God, Hophni and Phinehas were not. They were entitled as priests. And they made a mockery of the offering, and they took the fat and the good pieces of meat that were supposed to be burned to the Lord, and they ate them. And God was judging them because of this. Knowing they were not, they did not know the Lord. And faithful, they certainly were not. They didn't care about honoring God at all. Eli had two of the three. He was humble. When the rebuke comes, he goes, this, this is the word of the Lord. Let him do as seems good to him. He was humble, and he was knowing. We'll see in a minute when we get in the story that he was the one who pointed Samuel to recognize this was God's voice. Eli knew the voice of God, but he wasn't faithful. He cared more about honoring his sons and allowing them to keep doing these awful things which got worse and worse as time progressed, instead of removing them from their priesthood and pursuing God's holiness. He was humble and knew God, but he wasn't faithful. But Hannah, Samuel's mother, was all three. She was humbled by the fact that she was barren. And keep in mind, God kept her back from having children to prepare for something great. There's a pattern of this in Scripture, going backwards, going to Sarah and her son Isaac, and forward, there's other people too. I'll talk about one in a bit. But she was humbled by that experience, and she knew that God hears her prayers, and she was faithful every year to keep going up and worshiping. She had all three going on. And there's this word play happening between these two people, and we get to chapter three, these two types, the young men, Samuel versus Hophni and Phinehas. And we get to chapter three, and it says, now the boy, there's that word again, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days there was no frequent vision. Why would there be? Nobody cared to listen to God's voice. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. So he was not giving a vision. He was not giving a word. It had gotten quiet. Josephus, the Jewish historian, thinks that Samuel was probably about the age of 12 at this point. And so picture a 12-year-old boy who's like an altar boy, but he's being trained for the priesthood. He's had a very um, modest life. He, he was very, raised very strictly in this, in this service and was kind of like an altar boy, I think. He was serving at the temple and doing the things for the Lord, but didn't yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord comes to the boy, not Eli the priest. Why? Well, because he wasn't listening. And we're about to see there's a change of power. God was about to raise up a new leader and depose an old leader that was not faithful, it tells us that the lamp was on. It says in verse 3, "The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was." He is he's sleeping like I mean it'd be like it'd be like getting your bedroll here in the church at nighttime and sleeping under the altar. If there was a holy place in our lives, this is it, where we break bread together and have the sacrament every week. Have you ever come into the church at night when no one's here? It's awesome. The, the, uh, the red exit light is like the only thing on, and you know you're in God's house, and it feels holy. That's what he was sleeping in every single night. This is the Ark of the Covenant. You know, this is very historically inaccurate, but you know the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie? What happens when they find that thing? This is where God's holiness was. In fact, this is accurate. The Philistines capture it in a couple of chapters from now, and they have all kinds of calamity break out in their tribes, so much so that they send it back to Israel. It's that holy. This is where he's sleeping, and it says the lamp had not yet gone out. That tells us what time it was, because Leviticus required you to burn a candle from sunset to sunrise in the, t- in the tabernacle where the ark was. So they figured out how much oil it needed, and they lit it, and it would, it would go. And so the oil had not burned out yet. It, the lamp was still on, and that tells us what time it is, but it also tells us this. There was hope. There was a flicker of hope. There was a little bit of light left in a time of real darkness for God's people. And God always retains a remnant of faithfulness. And here he is, the boy Samuel. But it tells us in verse 7 this, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Any church kids in here? I went to Catholic grade school through eighth grade. I had religion class every single day. We went to Mass every Sunday. I'd heard the stories. I knew the gospel messages. We read the Bible. I grew up in the church. I did not know the word of the Lord. I don't know why, but at the age of 17, all of a sudden he took the blinders off and I, heard, I, I, I saw it. I was like, oh my goodness, this is all true. This is real. God is alive. Samuel was about to have that experience. He had been raised in the faith of Israel, but he didn't know the voice. He didn't know the sound. So three times he's called, and he just doesn't recognize it, which is instructive to us. You may be hearing God's voice and not recognizing that he's speaking to you. This is Samuel's experience, and it happens to lots of people. So we'll we'll see what happens. So the first time he goes to to the priest Eli, and he says, Go back to sleep. Second time, go back to sleep. Third time, it says that he discerns, Eli discerns that this is God's voice. He says, Go lay down, my son, and when he calls you again, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. What great instruction to us. I can't tell you how often I pray that prayer. I want God to speak, and I want to tune my ears to him. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So the word comes. Now, we skipped over this. I didn't have this all read, but I'm going to tell you what he says. Because we take this account of three words, and it's kind of, it's endearing. You know, we really like this. It's It's a great story. It's the boy. He's by God. God's calling him. And it's almost like cute. But it's about to be a hard word of judgment. It says this. Then the Lord said to Samuel, this is verse 11, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, "'at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. "'On that day I will fulfill against Eli "'all that I have spoken concerning his house "'from beginning to end. "'And I declare to him "'that I am about to punish his house forever "'for the iniquity that he knew "'because his sons were blaspheming God "'and he did not restrain them. "'Therefore I swear to the house of Eli "'that the iniquity of Eli's house "'shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever.' Now go back to sleep, Samuel. You think he could sleep that night? The rest of that night, he laid there thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to tell Eli this? I don't want to tell Eli this. I'm not going to tell Eli this. And so Eli's no fool. He's known the Lord a long time. And so it says that Samuel was afraid to tell him, and Eli called him and said, Samuel, he said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And then he says this, it's the Lord. Let him do what he seems good to him. That's Eli's response. He knows he's under judgment and he's just, he's kind of given up. So what happens here is now Samuel, a a torch has been passed to Samuel. He's now the one who's receiving the word. And it it says this, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, from the very north tribe to the southern tribe, all of Israel, they recognized that he was a prophet of the Lord, that he was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him again at Shiloh. And he continues now to judge Israel in Eli's place, and he becomes this prophet who's going to start the monarchy. It's incredible. Samuel was humble. Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. He now knows the Lord. He knows what his voice sounds like, and he's got a relationship with the living God, and he's faithful. No word of the Lord would he let fall to the ground. When God spoke, he acted. He was building his life on the truth of God's word. So incredible. But you know, Samuel wasn't perfect. We learn later that his own sons fail as priests and cannot take over his ministry. But that's okay because God was going to do something that would cause our ears to tingle, He was going to raise up a monarchy, and he was going to eventually place on the throne one who would be the king forever. This is the King Jesus, of course. Jesus who said, come to me, for I am gentle and humble. There's humble. He knew his father intimately. He said, I and the father are one. He knew. He was humble. He was knowing, and he was faithful. He said, "Um, your will, not mine, be done. And Jesus obeyed his father to the very end. He was the perfect one, the perfect savior. Now, you know what I find so interesting about the patterns of how God works? There are some real parallels between Samuel's ministry and the ministry of John the Baptist. Consider this. The word of God was rare in the days of Samuel. The word of God was silent from the end of the Old Testament prophets in that intertestamental period until John the Baptist shows up. God was silent. There was a barren mother, Hannah, in the temple or tabernacle praying to God There was another barren woman whose husband was a priest and Gabriel comes to him and says, your wife will conceive and bear a son. This is Elizabeth who bears John the Baptist, similar pattern there. Samuel is raised up and in chapter 16, anoints King David to be God's king. He also anoints Saul who fails before that, but then he anoints King David. And John the Baptist baptizes Jesus in a sense, anointing his public ministry to identify with sinful people that he would save. Samuel was raised in the Nazarite vow. They didn't cut his hair. He never tasted alcohol. Very ascetic lifestyle. John the Baptist was out in the wilderness. He had garments of camel's hair and a leather belt, and he ate wild honey and locust, also a very ascetic lifestyle. Samuel was the last judge of Israel before the monarchy. John the Baptist was the last prophet before the savior of of the world came and ended that age and started the age of the church. I just think that's incredible, the parallel of how God works, the consistency of what he does. And what we see here in all these people I'm describing, in Samuel, in Jesus, of course, even John the Baptist, we see humble people, we see people that know God, and we see people that are faithful to his word. Now, Jesus, who saves us, invites us to follow that example. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Talk about humble. The poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. It's not just knowing about God. It's knowing him personally. God speaks. He's spoken to you. If you're a Christian, you know his voice. That's why you're a Christian. You responded. But are your ears closed? Are you open to hearing? And he says, Jesus says, if you obey my commands, you will show yourselves to be my friends. Faithful. So humble, knowing, and faithful. Faithful. And he's with us. The Lord said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. You know, it's a key value of this church to have a personal walk with the Lord. I talk quite a bit about a relationship, not just religion. And once again, in the the calling of Samuel, we see that, that God initiated a relationship with the young boy Samuel, and he walked with God all the days of his life. I just think this is an incredible call to us to be humble, to be knowing, to be faithful. But even if we're not You know, the scriptures say in in 2 Timothy that when we're faithless, God remains faithful. He's the one who is our Savior and will enable us to do these things by His grace. So cry out to Him. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing kind of an old song. as our sermon response song, going back to my Catholic childhood. It's the song, Here I Am, Lord. I've heard you calling in the night. It talks about responding and also being used of God to lead others to the gospel, So I want to pray and then then invite you to stand and we'll sing that song, but let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your servant Samuel. I love this story. I thank you for the way that you break into the darkness of night with your voice. In this season of epiphany, we're mindful of the way that light comes into darkness, your goodness and truth. Lord, I pray that you would stir up in each one of us a desire to humbly come and know you and then be faithful to your word. Help us to build our lives on your truth and let none of your word fall to the ground. For I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.